Well, probably like most of you, our family has developed some COVID routines over the last year and a half. And one of the routines that we've developed is after my little guy who's seven goes to bed, my husband and myself and our daughter, who's almost 12, um, settle down into our TV room and we watch some sort of show. And usually we watch some sort of series that um, we all enjoy. And one of the series that we've watched the most recently that um, I really enjoyed is a series that the BBC put out. So this is revealing my nerdiness. Um, and it's basically a farm reenactment series of shows. So it's on Amazon Prime. And it's this historian and a couple archaeologists who are British who decide to live on a farm for a whole year. And there are several shows, so there are different time periods. There's like the one about the Tudor period and the Edwardian period, World War II, a couple others. And they live on these farms and they basically pretend all together that they are farming the land for an entire year. And I should say that, that although they are academics, they're really personable and really fun to watch and they have a great time together. So it's just kind of a fun thing to just to see what life was like in a different time period. And one of the things that really stood out to me as I've been watching these different shows is how important the land is um, historically really because it's not quite as important to my life now but historically the land was really important and so the land really represented um, not just something that you owned but it represented your livelihood your way of making an income um, and in terms of inheritance and land being passed down across families it represented a sense of hope knowing that you have hope for the future that you have a tie to the community and to your family and a sense of stability and that's what we're going to be talking about today is inheritance and we're going to be in ephesians chapter one and it's really a beautiful passage about inheritance and all of the blessings that god has given us and how we have hope we have that same hope we have that same stability and we have that same tie to the family of god through the inheritance that we have in jesus well, today we're going to be in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. And if I could sum up the passage with one phrase, I would say that this is an outpouring of adoration. Okay, so this is the Apostle Paul, most likely. Um, he, during that time period, he most likely would have been dictating this letter to a scribe. He was in prison. And you can just kind of imagine in your mind's eye, perhaps that he was pacing around um, dictating this letter to his scribe. This was a letter that would be passed around to different churches to, to be a teaching and an encouragement to them. And he basically just starts off with this amazing outpouring of praise to God. And he just lists off, and it seems to me somewhat spontaneously, all of the incredible things that we have in him or in Christ Jesus. And one of the things that you'll notice as you read it that um, I, th I think is kind of helpful to know is that it's actually one sentence in the Greek. So it's verses 3 through 14. So lots of sentences in, in the English language, but in the Greek language, it's one. So it can be a little bit difficult to navigate, but here we go. So I'm going to read to you first Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6, and this is in the RSV. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Well, he starts off here by talking about many blessings, but the first blessing that we're going to focus on is the blessing of being part of a chosen people. And so Paul takes us back to the beginning and he says that we were chosen in him, which is the first of many in hymns. Um, we are meaning we are chosen in Christ, but what does it really mean to be chosen? Um, well, the verb here for chosen is the same verb that God uses when talking about the chosen people of Israel. And I think it's really helpful for us to understand this in a corporate sense rather than just as an individual chosen. He's really talking about, well, first the nation of Israel who's chosen to be a light for the world. But then second here, Paul is talking about being chosen, meaning being part of the chosen church, a group of people. And he says that before the foundations of the world were laid, God had determined that those who believed in his son would be part of this chosen group of people. And they're not just chosen for the sake of being chosen, um, but they are chosen for a purpose. And he specifically says that they are chosen to be holy and to be blameless. So what does that mean? Well, to be holy means to be set apart for God in order to reflect his purity and to be blameless means without blemish. And so those of us that are in the church, we are, through our faith, we are now part of this chosen body that is presented before God, holy and blameless through Jesus. And I, the other thing that Paul talks about, which is super important, is that we are chosen through grace. That as one theologian said, that we didn't lift a finger, that everything that, everything that we have received is through grace and through God's good gift. Well, God has done this for his purposes. He has done this for his praise, just as he did that for Israel. And now we'll move on to talking about the second blessing, which is the blessing of adoption and being co-heirs with Christ. So join me in verse five. He says, he destined us in love to be sons through Jesus Christ. Well, here the word sons in the RSV um, is talking about adoption, being an adopted son. Some translations use the word adopted. And I think it's really helpful for us to realize that the cultural context of this, that when this was written, this was written during Roman times. And in Roman law, an adopted son was not just welcomed into the family, um, like we tend to think of adoption, but had the same long-term privileges of inheritance that a biological son would have. So that was a really big deal because not only were they part of the family in the, in the sense that we might think of it, but long-term, it totally changed the family tree, that th those sons would be able to have the privileges of the stability and the hope and all the things that we talked about that come with land. Well, I don't know about you, but I've always been just a little bit confused about the language of adoption in the New Testament. And I think mainly because I've just sort of been like, well, aren't we all children of God? Like, why do we have to be adopted? Aren't we already God's kids? Isn't it more of like a reconciliation? And I think the language that I see here with inheritance really helps us with that, 
because it helps us realize that the, the really what, what Paul is talking about here is Jesus as the first son. So Christ is God's son. And God says of Jesus in Matthew 3, he says, This is my beloved son in whom I, in whom I am well pleased. And so now Paul is telling us that that same favor and that same relationship that is placed on Jesus, that those of us who are in Christ get to join into that and to be equal in that adoption. So that is the good news, that now that we are part of that beloved identity, that we are beloved sons and daughters through the work of Christ. Well, let's move on to Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, and we're going to talk about redemption and forgiveness which are the next set of blessings. So verse seven, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. For he has made known to us in all wisdom and insight the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So the third and the fourth blessings are laid out here at the beginning. Um, first is redemption. Second is forgiveness. Uh, verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. And I think it's really helpful for us to, to understand redemption as, um, as they would have thought of it, which is language around emancipation of slaves or prisoners. And so when we think about redemption, really it means a breaking of bonds, a freeing. Um, and it also implies that we're free from something, right? So just as a slave or a prisoner might have been literally stuck in bondage, the reality is, is that the human condition is also stuck in bondage, that we are stuck in sin, that we all have habits and hangups and all kinds of things that we feel stuck in. And the good news is that Jesus came to pay the price for those things to free us from being stuck all the time. Sometimes we're so stuck that we can't even see it. But God saw it, and he gave his son Jesus as the way to unstuck us, as the rescue plan. And what comes with that also is forgiveness. Okay, so verse 7 and 8, he talks about he gave us forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. And so the word here for forgiveness is kind of a, a, large, a large term, um, specifically meaning sending away sin. But it also, for trespasses, is talking about not just one sin, but a path of sinning, a path of going in the wrong direction specifically. So God in his forgiveness is sending away all of the times that we were on the path, the wrong path in multiple ways. And he forgives us and not just a little, he forgives us lavishly with his grace. So it's just another example of us not laying a finger of God doing the work through his son, Jesus. Well, the fifth blessing is the promise of uniting all things in him. Okay, so that's from the piece of scripture we read before. It's verse 10. It says, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things on earth. And how I like to think about this is it's a foreshadowing of the things to come. So we, are redemp we have redemption, we are forgiven, and God is in the process now, and in the future it's going to be, you know, even more amazing of bringing heaven and earth together. So Tom Wright says this, he said, God's plan in the Messiah is to sum up everything in heaven and earth. God, after all, is the creator, and he doesn't have any interest in leaving earth to rot 
and making do for all eternity with only one half of creation, God intends to flood the whole cosmos, heaven and earth together with his presence and his grace. So that's the good news. That's the hope. That's the long-term hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Well, and then last, we're going to be the very end of this burst of praise, Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 says, In him, according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things, according to the counsel of his will, we who first hoped in Christ have been destined and appointed to live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, who have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and who have believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And so the sixth blessing that we get to talk about today, and the final one, is really the Holy Spirit. It's the, it's the inheritance that we experience today in addition to the ones that we just talked about. And so, it, I don't know, Paul uses some words that are a little bit confusing for us when he talks about the Holy Spirit. So the first is he uses the word sealed. Well, we don't really talk so much about using a seal today, but at the time, the seal was a wax seal that you would put on something that was a mark of ownership. And so to say that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit means that we have a sign that we are gods, that God owns us. Verse 14 talks about the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And sometimes translations say a deposit, um, a guarantee or a deposit. And it's a little bit, it's a commercial term. And as a homeowner myself, it's a little bit like having a down payment. That when you buy something that's really large, you'll give a down payment. And it's to assure that the rest of it is eventually going to flow, right? So for those of us that are in Christ, the Holy Spirit living inside of us is the first installment of all of the things that we are going to inherit when Jesus comes, of the, the new heaven and the new earth coming together, as we just talked about. So it's like a pledge. It's a pledge living inside of us. Well, the Holy Spirit is our guide and our leader, but more than that, it's really a small taste. The Holy Spirit is a small taste, kind of like an appetizer of the promised inheritance, of the stability and the hope and being part of the family that someday we're going to experience in full. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit in closing today about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, I think that in terms of the Trinity, at least here in the West, it tends to be um, the, the third person that we maybe are a little afraid of or don't talk about a lot. Um, but I love the Holy Spirit, and I've had a lot of really incredible experiences with the Holy Spirit, and I'm really grateful for the Holy Spirit. So I just thought I would just do a little bit of teaching on what I found in Scripture about the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to give specific references, um, but you're welcome to ask me. You can email me or contact me if you want to talk more about that. So here's, here's what I learned. Well, the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, points people to Jesus. Okay, so if, you are, if you've had an experience in your life where you've had a light go off about Jesus, the Holy Spirit was the one that helped you with that. Okay, the Holy Spirit only tells the truth about God. So the Holy Spirit hears from God and then tells us, all right? The Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that we are God's children. So remember how we talked about being adopted? Well, when we have certainty of that, that's the Holy Spirit doing a work in us. 
The Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us gifts to build up the church, to serve, to encourage one another, and to share the good news about Jesus Christ and the world around us. That's all the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses scripture to teach us, to convict us, to compel us. So anytime that you have the experience of reading the Bible and you kind of have like an aha moment and you felt like, oh, that was just for me, even though you knew it wasn't, that's the Holy Spirit um, showing that to you. And when we're in a friendship with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does a work inside of us to help demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit from the book of Galatians. And I think just breeds a new form of life in us that we become more and more like the person of Jesus as we submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, something that I was thinking about specifically for today in terms of the Holy Spirit is we just have, we're living in a really anxious time. There's a lot of anxiety in just the atmosphere in terms of all the information that we receive. Um, and some of the groups that I've been letting, leading at church, that's been coming up, people just talking about how anxious they are a lot of the time, whether it's social anxiety or just generalized anxiety. And honestly, anxiety is something that I have struggled with the last few years. That um, it's something that I've talked to my doctor about. It's something that I've had a lot of prayer for, something that I'm constantly working on. And um, that's true for now too. Um, I've had to, to rely on the Holy Spirit a lot to center me back to Jesus um, in the times that we live in today. And one quote that I just wanted to close with today is from Henry Nouwen. And this is, this is a quote specifically about the Spirit of God in anxiety. He says, the Spirit of Christ burns away many fears and anxieties and sets us free to move wherever we are sent. I'll read that again. The Spirit of Christ burns away our many fears and anxieties and sets us free to move wherever we are sent. Okay, so I would just encourage you today as we, as we plan for the summer to begin to be thinking about how can you make room in your life to put yourself in that position where you can hear from the Spirit of God um, and let the Spirit of God maybe burn away some of those fears and anxieties that you have, um, or maybe just distractions that you have, so that you can do as Henry Nouwen says here, that you can move in the direction that you are sent. So God is sending all of us. He's sending us in our neighborhoods. He's sending us in our home and in our workplaces and beyond. And he has an exciting invitation for us. But sometimes we're so bound up in ourselves and in the distractions and the anxieties of life that it's hard for us to even hear that voice. So I would just encourage you to take some time this summer to structure your life in such a way that you can maybe push back some of those distractions. And I'm not so much saying like the people in your home, but maybe the news, maybe social media, um, maybe just all of the voices that are crowding in on us all the time in this day and age, to push those back so that you can make some space to hear Holy Spirit speak to you about who you are in Christ and the plan and the purpose that Holy Spirit has for you. Well, I'm going to close today with three questions. Question number one is, how does knowing that you are that beloved son or daughter give you hope for the future? Question two, how have you seen Holy Spirit's work in your life already? How could that be part of your story? Question three, how could you structure your life to make more room for the friendship of the Holy Spirit? And what's holding you back 